I don't want to take your time for granted. I want to go right into this series this morning, this new series that we are launching today called Big Church. Now, I don't know what your background is, your church background is. I'm going to give you just a little bit of mine. My parents and my mom and my dad divorced when I was two, and then they both remarried. And so my dad and every fry, F-R-Y-E, because that's the only way that it should ever be spelled. I'm just kidding for all of the people that have their names spelled differently than mine, and I would love to bring my laundry to you and you build a house. So all of those things all at the same time, but all of the fries in North Louisiana, all of the fries in North Louisiana uh, go to this one little church, and it, it looks very similar to this, not the color, but definitely the big front door, you know, where everybody came in and came out, you know, just like a herd of cattle, like we funnel you out this way, um, and then the steeple right there on top that now these days we call AT&T and see if they'll use this as a cellular tower that we could have for some residual income. It's a great place to be. It was called Calvary Mission. Baptist Church on Shreveport Road in Minden. It's where I went to vacation Bible school. It's where I learned about David and Goliath on the 1980s iPad, also known as a flannel board. It is a place, some of you, some of you were there, um, and, and it, it, it's a place where I really began to establish some roots, but we always, we had this term that we would use after Sunday school or, or when we were going to kids' church. Uh, today, we're gonna be in Big church, big church. I even heard somebody say it this past week as we were planning for this series. And we had a direction that we were going to go with this series. And as I sat down in my office on Tuesday and I began to prepare this message, after having been at general counsel of the Assemblies of God last week with my bride, uh, I just, I heard the direction of the Assemblies of God and I heard the heart of our national leaders and with all of that stuff stirring in my spirit, I sat down and Jesus just began to download into me a, a little bit of a different direction, a, a little bit of a new definition of, of who we are as a church and, and, the, and who he really wants to be in us as the church. If you will, turn in your analog Bible to Matthew chapter 16 or your digital Bible to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have either one of those, these notes are right there on the back of your bulletin. You can open them up in your phone at unischurch.com slash notes. If you don't have any of that, we put them right there for you to squint and read at your own luxury. Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read through verses 19. Here's what Jesus says. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am. Okay, here's what, here's what Jesus is asking. What are you hearing about what other people are saying? It, who do other people say that I am? Listen, this is really important, especially for people like me who were raised in this atmosphere, who were raised in church, and First Baptist Church, and, and Calvary Missionary Baptist Church, uh, and then Broadmoor Assembly of God and Gateway and, and then been on staff at a church and now we've got Eunice Fellowship and First Assembly of God and we're New Hope used to be Fellowship but that's a dated word so now we're New Hope Church and we bought EuniceChurch.com. This is an important question. 
Because I want you to designate the difference between the two questions that Jesus asked in this passage. Because when we stand before God, he's not going to ask you, what did other people say about me? Okay, you cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus. Hear me, you cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus based on what you've heard about Jesus from other people alone. Your relationship with Jesus cannot be lived through your youth pastor. Your relationship with Jesus, I love our teachers and our coaches. Look, I don't remember a lot of the history that I was supposed to remember, but I remember the teachers that taught it. Come on, somebody. I don't remember a lot of the games that I played, but I remember the coaches that inspired me and spoke into my life, our teachers, our administrators, our staff members. I love the leaders and the authorities that God put in my life along the way, my parents and my grandparents, and the fact that I I was raised, literally raised in a pew. And I don't know why we called it that because it sounds like something smelly, but it was in the church and we sat on them and sometimes they were smelly because they needed to be cleaned or replaced. But we were there and I don't get to stand before Jesus and Jesus asked me, hey, what do you agree with about what all those people said about me? I can't have a personal relationship with Jesus through what my parents and my grandparents and my coaches and my pastors say. You can't have a personal relationship with Jesus based on what I tell you. You have to have a personal relationship. You've got to be able to answer for yourself. Jesus says, what do men say about me? Who do they say I, the son of man, am? Verse 14. So they said, the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. Why is it easier to believe that he is somebody from the past than he is the son of God in the present? Why is it easier to believe that Jesus is a prophet than he just was who he said he was? And others said he's a prophet, but he said to them, okay, now here's the important question. Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? I'm not asking you what your background says that you are. I'm not asking what your Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, UPC, Holy Church of the Pentecostal Hill, Second Church of the First Church that used to be, it doesn't matter to me, who they say, old hope, new hope, whatever it is, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you because you have answered other questions illegitimately. You have answered other questions ignorantly. You have spoken out of turn and made a fool of yourself in several other occasions which will be dictated in the gospel for the next 2100 years. Simon, son of Jonah, the only way that you finally regurgitated the correct answer was under the unction of the Holy Spirit. My Father in heaven must have just downloaded something into you because up to this point this is the first time I haven't wanted to slap you when you spoke now that may that's just my interpretation okay of Jesus saying flesh and blood <laughs> has been answering all those other questions but my father who in heaven gave you the answer to this one and then watch this verse 18 I say to you that you are Peter you are Petros, Greek word for small stone. 
And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Remember that word. We're going to come back to that next week. Shall not prevail against it. And I will give you, I'm going to define this in a second. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Father, right now, I pray that we would be your church. Every single individual in this room. God, this passage that you spoke to your disciples would be spoken live right now, today in 2019. God, that you would anoint us Jesus, that you would speak to us, that you would ask us the question and Holy Spirit, that you would help us as you helped Simon answer the question that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And our identity is in you and you alone today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Caesarea Philippi is an interesting place. Caesarea Philippi was a place of demonic, pagan, immoral Worship. Caesarea Philippi was a place near the Mount of, uh, I would say my North Louisiana twang would call it Hermon, uh, Mount Hermon in Israel. It's Caesarea Philippi is right there amongst the midst of that mountain. And at the bottom of that mountain was a temple to a pagan god named, known as Pan. Pan was half goat and half man. And Pan had the ability to determine the agricultural success of their props and crops and the provision for their children. So the people in Caesarea Philippi would come to the temple at the base of Mount Hermon and they would worship Pan, the half goat, half man God. At the side of this temple was a little cave. It was a hole that was naturally in that side of that place that they had built a temple and they would go down to that cave at the edge of that hole and they would perform immoral acts of impurity you can not use your imagination too much right there but uh, I just identify what they were doing they had all kinds of okay of Caesarea Philippi everything that could happen would happen right there out in front of everybody even to the extent of offering human sacrifices killing or injuring or possibly alive and healthy people being cast into this cave that would go down through the rocks, potentially into the sea or into the waters below. And they named this place, the pagan people named this place, the gate of Hades, where they would feed human sacrifices or perform pagan rituals before the God, the goat man God, Pan, for their worship so that he would move on their behalf based upon their sacrifice. Listen, anytime that you try to serve God or a God based upon your sacrifice and not surrender to his sacrifice, you're going to end up going in the wrong direction. It's going to be difficult for you. This cave they named the gate of Hades. Jesus brought his disciples. I believe this is not a biblical absolute. This is Chris Fry's theological interpretation. Take it for what it's worth. Um, I believe that Jesus brought his disciples to this place for an illustrative sermon for the day. I want, you to make, I want to make sure you understand that Jesus did not take his disciples into 
the cave into the temple. He did not engage in or partake in the activities of which these people were involved in. Just for all the preachers and pastors and people out there that say they're going to places that God wants delivered them from or heading into houses that they never should have been in and ministering the gospel, even though they're engaging in the same opportunities and using it as an excuse to continue to fulfill their flesh. Jesus did not take these people into that place. He stood on the outside of it and proclaimed the truth at the door. He took his disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? Because I'm giving you a choice. And, and Peter speaks up, Simon Barjona at the time, he speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, he is proclaiming his personal profession of Jesus Christ in that moment. And so Jesus says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. There's no way you got that right on your own. But my Father in heaven had to have downloaded it into your spirit. So, Peter, Petros, small stone, I will build upon the rock. He's standing at the base of Mount Hermon, the temple of Pan, and the cave, which is known as the gate. I call you Petros. Upon this rock, this large Petra, large stone, a foundation which is secure and not shaky. Upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my governing body, my big church. This is what Jesus is saying. Peter, you're a small stone and a part of a big church that I want to build. So when we ask the question, did you go to church? We're actually not asking the right question. When the old saints used to say, but we had church this morning. It's not technically the right usage of the biblical definition in which Jesus was attempting to illustrate. My wife took this phrase from my notes and used it as an introduction to this series. But the question that we ask is not, have you been to church? But the question that we should be asking one another is actually, how have you been the church? Did you go to services? Did you serve on a dream team? Have you been a part of the process? Are you engaged in the body? Are you being the church? Not did you go to church, but have you been going as the church? Let me give you the story of how we got here. I share this in the first step of next steps, which we're having the second step today right after our third service, the second step of next steps. And this is one of the things that we really like to do. Um, just It's an opportunity to, to meet with more people, newcomers, new people that have just kind of gotten plugged in. And, and sometimes even people that have been here for a long time just want to find out more about the specifics of how and why we operate the way that we do. If I share this story, in 2014, I was still in 
Chandler, Texas at First Assembly of God, um, and, and we were in the middle of a, of a fast, and, and everything was really going pretty well, and I, was, we, I wasn't eating like I wanted to, and, and I was praying more than uh, I normally did, and thank God for that, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, normally I can just shake God off and go right back to sleep, just for all of you who feel really guilty and put me on a spiritual pedestal that I don't belong and don't deserve. Um, I'm normally able to just shake that right off and fall right back asleep play, praying in the middle of the night, but this time I got up. And I went into the living room, and I walked around for a few minutes, and I did what any spiritual, empowered man of God would do. I fell asleep on the couch instead of my bed. And uh, in the midst of that um, prayer rim that I was in, I actually had a little bit of a dream, and I saw the state of Louisiana, and, and I saw a homing device in the center of the state, southern central area of the state, and, and I now know looking back in 2019 that that was a light that God had shining in south central Louisiana, and then that light began to go from just a flash to expanding over that territory in which I was looking until it covered the entire state, and it exploded and it woke me up and I got up and I put a pin on the map and I, I, I leveled it down to I was actually being from North Louisiana at the uh, and formerly and currently uh, I, I looked at the map I actually had Lake Charles and Lafayette confused forgive me I'm really sorry about that I fixed it immediately the Holy Spirit helped me correct that I never made that mistake again uh, I put a pin down and I could name I knew uh, Eunice, Crowley, Lafayette, and Opelousas. That's where the pen was. I didn't know how or why. I now know, I didn't know at this time, but I now know that that is Acadiana. That is an area of a community and a group of people that are referred to as the, the Acadiana area. I didn't know that at the time. I kept this to myself for about two years, and I shared it with our superintendent. I shared this vision with our superintendent um, when we couldn't find anywhere to live in Chandler, Texas, and he said, Chris, if you wouldn't have said Eunice, I would have forgotten about this, but their pastor retired last week. You need to send them a resume. And I said, and I quote, I am not sending my resume to an old Assembly of God church in Eunice, Louisiana, whose pastor just retired. I am 32 years old. Are you trying to kill me? <laughs> and he said, it's not what you think. I believe they're ready for a turn. It is prepared and is in a great place. You need to send your resume. So frightened and begrudgingly, I did send my resume. I was later that week reading, trying to discern whether I was getting ahead of my time or not. And the Bible says in the book of Kings that Jehoiakim became the king of Israel at 32 years of age. So I thought, well, if Jehoiakim can handle the nation of Israel, then perhaps the Lord will move on my behalf and I can handle some Cajuns down in Eusis, Louisiana. So we came and we moved and it wasn't very long that we were here uh, and we had a great core that we were able to begin with. Uh, and we were here for just a little while. And I began to ask the question, God, why New Hope? Why did you send us here? Why does this church, why did Eunice Fellowship birth from a home 
into a movement and a body of believers and first assembly of God come together in 1995 and merge itself. God, why did you put this Acadiana area on my heart, literally in my head, even when I didn't know about it, and then show me a body of believers, which is an ecclesia, a church that existed to author, to operate in the authority of that ecclesia. Why did you put us here? And God said, not in an audible voice, but very clearly, I put you here. This church exists, and you hear it every Sunday, to meet people and grow closer to God together. It is the church, the church meeting the people of God, meeting more people and growing closer in an authentic personal relationship where they themselves not based on their past or their upbringing or their pastor or their priest or their grandmother or their parents but they because of an experience and an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit in the name of the Christ the son of the living God begin to know Jesus find freedom discover purpose impact eternity and grow closer to God together. That, I believe, is God's will for this church. His church. Not the assemblies of God, not the Southern Baptists, not the non-denominational rebels that don't want to be affiliated with anybody, not the Catholics, the Presbyterians, the Methodists. I don't know how many I haven't caught, but I'm not going to try to keep up. I just believe that what Jesus spoke to Peter 2,100 years ago, he is still speaking to us today that upon the rock of the faith of the personal profession and proclamation of who you have experienced and encountered for me to be in your life just as I wanted to be for those 12, I want to be for you today and I want to build something that can only be built through you. If you're taking notes this morning, I only have time for one point. Well, that went by quicker than it was supposed to. <laughs> I wanna be a big church. With small groups, by the way, right after service today. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> Wait, we get it. I, in fact, I don't even really, it, it, we could grow to 2,500, 4,000 people. Uh, I, I still don't think we're a big church because there's 10,000 people in this community and within a 20-mile radius, there's a quarter of a million people and I guarantee you, last night, somebody was laying in bed with tears in their eyes wondering if anybody cared. Within 20 miles of this place, I guarantee you, there were some people at the Welcome House wondering there are some people at the Eunice Correctional Facility. And I'm here to tell you today, God does care. And we do care. These people invested money so we could stream our services, buy new cameras, do the best that we can to operate and make the sound of what it's supposed to be online so that more and more people can be a part of the church that Jesus is attempting to build. And I don't care what title is on it. We call it New Hope here. And God has positioned me as the leading authority to hear from Him and, and, and evaluate other people's input. I just believe God wants to build a big church 
because he is a big God. I got to do this quickly, so hang on. Just buckle up really quick. You ready? He's so big, the Bible says, as high as the heavens are above the earth. The closest star to the earth is called Alpha Centauri. It is four light years away from us. A light year is how far you could travel at the speed of light in one year. So if you could travel, are you with me? 186,000, help me Lord, 186,000 miles per second and you could keep that up for an entire year, then that is the span that you would be able to travel in that one year period. It is approximately six trillion miles. Six trillion miles times four, 24, thank you Jesus, trillion miles from here is the closest star that you could get to if you could travel at 186,000 miles per second for the next four years, you would get there. The furthest object in space that we know of, that we can see, the Hubble telescope has been able to give us a glimpse of. It looks like a little red placebo out there in the universe. It's just a little tiny, you can look it up. It's called GNZ11. We're just going to call him Jen. It is actually another universe that is out there. It's another galaxy in our universe that is 13.4, not light years, billion light years away. Just to give you an idea of how big a billion is, if you began counting one, two, three, four, five, really quickly, not like one Mississippi, or one Louisiana, two Louisiana, yes, and one Mississippi get that, we can say Louisiana. If you began to count right now, 15 years from today, you would get to one billion. The furthest galaxy, galaxy, a whole other group of planets, the furthest galaxy that we know of is currently 13.4 billion light years, 186,000 miles per second per year away from us. The Bible says as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways, then your ways and my thoughts, then your thoughts. Jesus in John chapter 20, this is so cool. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. Whether he was talking to Peter or Alice, he said, I'm gonna build my church. I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Big rock, little rock, Peter, another disciple, the apostles are us today. I will build my church. Jesus, in John chapter 20, once he was raised from the dead, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She saw the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she began to weep. And Jesus was standing in the form of the Son of Man, which he asked the disciples about being. He stood in that form and revealed in his glorified body, Mary Magdalene, do not fear. It is I. I have been raised. I told you I was going to. I don't know why you're so surprised, but here I am. It's me. I've been raised. And she, in joy and jubilation, begins to go to reach out and embrace the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Christ, the living one. And he says, whoa, you cannot embrace me. I've not yet ascended to my Father. In other words, Jesus had something to do that he needed to get done before she could touch him. Okay. Later that night, this is amazing. I love this part. Later that night, the disciples are in a room, 11 of them, because the other one spilled his guts. <laughs> Eleven of them are in a room, and I don't know what they're doing in the room, but they're all in the room. They're probably hiding because they're afraid, and they don't know where Jesus is. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room. This is in John chapter 20. You go watch it. Go read it, and watch it in your head as you read. When you go in there, 
He goes in there, and this is the first thing he says. This is just Jesus. I like, I just, I see these little things because I like to scare people. I'm like, because I would have absolutely like messed up my robe, y'all. I'd have just been, it'd have been a bad moment. Jesus, into the room, what is this? And he says, peace be with you. (laughs) Because apparently they were scared to death when he just randomly appeared in the room with them. The Bible says that Thomas was not in the room. And Thomas had the spirit of Simon, also known as stupid, upon him in that moment. And he said out loud, as if God can't hear, I don't believe it. In fact, the only way that I will believe it is if I am able to put my hand in the wounds of that Savior, then I will believe. So eight days later, same room. They're sitting in the room. This time, Thomas is in there. Now, everybody else has already seen this happen one time. So they're ready, right? They know what's about to happen. Jesus does the thing again. Into the room, all of a sudden, not through a door, doesn't knock, doesn't ring the doorbell, doesn't give a warning, just in. And Thomas, (laughs) and falls on the ground. Everybody else starts laughing. Why? Because they've already read this story. They were there last week. Thomas isn't there. Jesus says, Thomas, put your hand in my wound. So listen, something happened eight days earlier from eight days earlier to where Thomas could touch him in a way that Mary Magdalene was not formerly able to touch him. I believe that the Son of God traveled 13.4 billion light years and back in less than a week just to reveal himself to one person and make sure that the one person knew that he was who he said he was and he could do what he said he could do. So I came to tell you today that Jesus doesn't need a light year. Jesus doesn't need another year. He just needs a moment for you to experience, for him to show up and show out and you surrender your life fully to him that if you will encounter his presence, you can be part of the big church that serves a big God and impacts this area in a way that it's never seen and didn't even see coming. We serve a big God. I got to read quick. Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 147, verse 4. Five, great is our Lord. Oh, that the all factor of God would be restored back unto the people of God. We wouldn't be able to stand in the midst of the assembly as Jesus walks the aisles and proclaims and praises the name of God on high in the midst of those who are assembled in his name. We wouldn't be able to stand with our arms folded and our hands in our pockets. We would not be able to contain the experience of our faith and our praise in that moment in the atmosphere when Jesus is walking and people are praising we would again understand the all factor of the identity in which he bestowed upon us and we would have to shout it from the rooftop great is our Lord and abundant in power his understanding is beyond measure Isaiah 40 28 I love this have you never heard 
what is going on over there at New Hope? God, have you never heard, have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And then Luke chapter 12, this is the last one. Verse 7, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Which for some of you is not very impressive, but for others is <laughs> quite the task. Fear not. <laughs> You are more valuable than, my, than many sparrows. In other words, you are more valuable than anything else that I've created. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, as Peter did, not hears about me, not as just a part of the movement or a spectator on the sidelines, but whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, there he is again, will acknowledge before the angels of God. Last verse. It's the same one we've read. Matthew 16, the last half of verse 18. Jesus said, upon this rock, this solid foundation, of your proclamation of your personal faith. That's what I believe it is. If I'm wrong, I'll give an account to God when I get there. But if I'm right, there are a lot of people that are in trouble. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you I will give you the key to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth you don't have to wait for you just walk in it shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth in the name of Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit for the sake of the kingdom of God it shall be loosed on earth this is a move of who God is and who he can be if the church would just remember their identity in the big God that we serve father right now I pray with every heart open with every spirit willing would you help us to take the next step in our faith? Wherever we are, God, whatever you've been stirring in us, the enemy's not trying to get us to lead a small group. It's not Lucifer that's trying to encourage us to sign up and become part of a connection to the body of Christ that would give us an identity in the kingdom of God. God, today, whatever the next step is for us, may we take it in the boldness of the name that is above every other name. Jesus, build your church. Build your people. Not a building. Not even a ministry. Certainly not based upon a man, a woman, a child, or even an atmosphere, but based upon you in a personal proclamation. God, for some of us in the room right now, with all the followers of Jesus praying with all of their spirit, some of us in the room right now need to give our lives to Jesus. 
We need to stop living like the world that we happen to be in in this moment. I begin to stand in Christ and therefore become like Christ. God wants to forgive us. He wants to heal us. He wants to save us. This morning, if you're sitting in this room and you do not know Jesus, maybe at one time you were following him, but you know last week, even yesterday, you needed him more than you've ever needed him before. And your life does not represent a follower of Christ, a disciple who has denied himself or herself, taken up the cross and followed Jesus.